Thank you for tuning in to our message here at Catalyst Church. We're excited that you're with us. Stay tuned at the end to find out more ways that you can connect with us. We hope you enjoy the message. In Jesus' name, those people said, amen, amen. All right, so um, the message today, we're doing a two-part series, just two messages on stewardship. And uh, at the beginning of the year, I wanted to do this, but because everything came about with the church and everything, we decided to postpone it. So now I'm getting back to it. Now, unfortunately, next week, and I'm just going to give you a heads up of, uh, of how this is going to happen. I'm preaching part one of this message today, and then Johannes is going to take the pulpit here for the very first time this coming Sunday. Let's give it up for Johannes. Although Johannes has tried to steal the pulpit occasionally when I say, hey, can you give a 30-second announcement? He just preaches for 10 minutes. But that, that's how we knew. Maybe we should give an opportunity to preach. Uh, no, but he's a very gifted teacher. We're excited about that. I'm going to be at Paradise Hills giving one final message before the union. And then uh, the next week I'm going to be back to finish this message on stewardship. And so that's just how it's going to go, okay? Uh, so, so that's what we do. Uh, now, I've titled this message, Why Give When You Can Buy Stuff? All right, why give when you can buy stuff? And it was inspired by my son, who was five at the time. I was in the living room flipping through the channels, looking for some sports to watch. That's, that's about all I watch these days, sports and maybe fixer-upper uh, with my wife. But he comes in with my wallet. He comes in with my wallet, and he likes to do that from time to time. He finds my wallet, and he looks in there thinking he's going to find something of value. And most of the time, he's sorely disappointed He'll be lucky if he finds a dollar and some Pollo Loco coupons or something. But this time he hit the jackpot. He, he sees it and he sees a lot of money. And what I had done is I had taken our tithe out and I put it in there getting ready for Sunday. And he says, Dad, Dad, you got so much. You're rich. You have so much money, right? And immediately he starts listing off, can we go to ice cream? Can I get this? Can I get that? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, you know, before he gets going too much, I say, stop. That's not our money. He's like, what do you mean it's not your money? It's in your wallet, right? It's not my money. And I said, well, Levi, this is for the church. This is what we do. And he's like, why? Right? Like that question, why? And so I began to explain to him, well, when we give to the church, we give to Jesus' work here on earth. And it's, he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and this is how the message gets spread. And I think he like found a butterfly or something. He was looking. And he's like, anyway, so why do we have to give to Jesus? And then that's when he asked me the question that inspired this title. He says, why do we have to give it? I want to buy stuff. That's literally what he said. Why do we have to give it? I want to buy stuff. So I knew right then and there that it was going to be an uphill battle with this kid, right? He likes to buy stuff. And, and I started thinking, I'm like, man, this kid's five years old. And already the consumeristic mentality is a part of his life. It's going to be tough training. But Jen and I, we're trying to teach our kids because there's a better way to look at finances than the world's way. Amen? Get, 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 get as much as you can. The Bible teaches differently, and it teaches differently because it's better for us. And, and this is how God intended, and so it's an important message. And let me tell you, it's not easy to preach on finances in the church. Can I get an amen, Ron? Okay, it's, we and him talk about it all the time. Why? Because there's been such an abuse in Christianity, preachers, 
right? Scandals and, and preachers misapply the principles of the scripture for selfish reasons and they manipulate people and do all kinds of evil things in the name of Christ, which I'm completely opposed to. But we got to be careful that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater and avoid talking about this super important subject. Money is a very important issue to talk about, especially in our day and age. Can I get an amen? And so the Lord showed me this, you know, when I was thinking, Lord, should, do we really need to preach on that again? I only preach on it maybe every two, three years. And the Lord showed me this story. He reminded me of this story with my kid because we've taken a very intentional approach with our children to teach them that you give to the church 10%. When you get money, you give 10%, then you save, you put some away, and then you spend the other things. And you consider, do I need this? Do I want this? We teach delayed gratification. We teach generosity. So it's not just the 10%. It's giving to other worthy causes and and, uh, not letting the materialism and consumerism affect you in a negative way because it does lead you down destructive paths and so we've taken a very intentional approach with our kids and here's what God showed me he showed me if you think this is valuable for your children don't you think it's valuable for the people you shepherd and of course it is of course it is so no you know no matter what's happening out there the need is for us to talk about finances in the church because it is important And so today I want to talk about giving. And again, it's a two-part message uh, that we're going to finish uh, in a couple weeks. But let me start by saying this, okay? Giving of our resources is an act that people of God have have been involved in ever since God created the world. Do you realize that? That giving to God out of worship Um, out of his request of us. It it dates back all the way from the very, very beginning in creation. We we see the story of Abel and Cain, which is the the story of the sons of Adam and Eve. And we find that story in Genesis 4, verses 2 through 5. It says this, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. What's the story? Both of them, apparently sometime that we don't read about, sometime uh, while these guys were growing up, God had told them that this is a very important part of their worship of God, to bring of the first fruits, which means the very first flocks, the very first uh, harvest that comes up, to bring the first part of that and offer it to God as an act of worship. And apparently God had told them, how to do it, specifics. But when they brought it, Cain gathered some fruits and veggies, thought, hey, this is good enough, whatever, and brought it just kind of nonchalantly. But Abel did it correctly. He did it how God had instructed. And, of course, we see that Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted. And so what happened is Cain 
try to give on his own terms, which gives us a very, very good biblical principle for all of us to follow. When we worship on our own terms, it's not worship at all. It's worship when we do it according to God's terms. And so God had instructed Abel and Cain, and Abel just kind of ignored what God had instructed and brought what he thought was sufficient. And Cain followed it to the T because he worshipped and followed and obeyed God. Amen? So we see that, that people from the very beginning brought their offerings to the Lord. And what does God say to Cain? What does God say to Cain? Cain is pouting. He's like, man, are are you serious, God? I brought you at least a little something. And so it says this in verse 6, Genesis 4, verses 6 through 7. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? There's the key question. If you would have done what is right, what you knew to be right, would you not have been accepted? And if you do not will, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So instead of following God, he followed his own fleshly, sinful impulse of just like, you know what, I'm just going to bring whatever. And really his heart wasn't even in it. He was just doing it kind of like religiously. Like, I got, might as well check this off my list. I just want to say, how many people do that with church, right? We just come, we check it off our list. That's too convicting. Let's move on. Anyway, uh, so, so that's the very first picture that we see when it comes to giving to God. Now, other people come into the picture, and we see in the scripture that from the very beginning to the very end, people come and they bring their offerings to God, and they do it for two reasons, for worship, to worship God, but then also it was an act of trust in God. So whenever we give of our finances, we're worshiping God, And then we are trusting God with our finances. When you give a portion, it's hard, right? You say, oh, here's a little bit to you. But what that's saying in your heart, you're saying, I'm trusting you for the rest of my livelihood. Okay? And that's what these people did when they brought the first fruits. It was, I'm giving you the beginning, the first harvest. You know, what if rains came and destroyed, or hail came and destroyed the rest of my crops? You're giving, trusting that God's going to provide the rest by you giving him the first. And so you give to God for worship and as an act of trust. Others, other examples in the Bible that we see, Abraham gives one-tenth to the Lord. He meets one of God's anointed priests. His name is Melchizedek. And many believe that he, this Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So before Jesus came as a human being, that that was him. And so he gave him a tenth to worship him. And then later on, we see Jacob. He gives a tenth. And this passage of scripture is so telling about his motivation of why he even gives to God. Look at what it says. It says this in Genesis 28, verses 20 through 22. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, And will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. He has like a little conversion moment. He's like, I'm going to follow you because you're going to be faithful to me. I know that. Shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth or give a full tenth to you. This is an example 
of a person who is giving a tenth, which means tithe. The word tithe just simply means giving a tenth. He tithes to the Lord, and get this, I don't know if you saw this in there, not to invoke God's blessing. He does it in response to God's blessing. He's like, you're going to give me all this, and when I see it, I'm going to give you a tenth of that. Later on, after Abraham, after Jacob, uh, we see in Exodus, Okay, you, you guys have all seen the movie, right? Exodus, uh, with the long flowing hair of Moses and the staff and all of that. Well, Exodus is the story of Moses leading the people of Israel out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. They spent 400 years there. Moses sent, God was sent Moses to rescue the Israelites, and they had been there for 400 years. And in that span of 400 years as slaves, they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied from a few hundred people to over two million people. And now that they're large and numerous, the Egyptians feel threatened. They said, man, what if they turn on us and take over this country? We better make them slaves. And so they treated them harshly. They put them into slavery. So Moses is sent in, and he delivers the people out of Egypt. And now, as they're exiting Egypt, God is saying, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And this nation is going to be new, and it's going to be different than anything you've ever seen. Why? Because I'm going to be the sole ruler of this nation. And it shows us, It's different than a monarchy where there's a king and a queen, a human queen and king. It's different than a democracy where the people rule and the people vote and select their representatives. It is a theocracy where God is the king, where God is the ruler. That's the theocracy. And he's like, I'm going to set up this theocracy. And in a theocracy, the priorities surround the deity, right, surrounds God and what he wants to do. And so God establishes his theocracy. And the reason he does that is because he wants this nation to be a light to the rest of the world. He says, with me as ruler, you're going to see, you're going to see that things are going to go better. There's going to be more justice. There's going to be, at least that was the intention, Right? And the intention was that all these other nations that had monarchs and different forms of government and they worshipped idols, they look at the Israelites and they're like, man, look how good they have it. Look how good their God treats them. Look how well their nation runs. And that it would have attracted everyone else to God. Do you understand that? And so that's the reason why God wanted to establish this as his people. But As he establishes this theocracy, God's desire is that this nation be a nation of two things. Worship and goodness. Worship and goodness. Or blessing. Worship and blessing. You worship God and then God blesses this nation and this nation in terms is a blessing to the rest of the world. And so one of the things he does, he says, in order for this to happen, is I want you, he instructs instructs his people to do two things. He instructs them to build a place of worship, a temple, and then he selects a group of people from the masses to be the leaders in this place of worship. And, 
And this temple, it was going to be built by the people, and the leaders were going to come out of the people, and the leaders were going to be supported by the people, and these people were in charge of taking care of all the temple business. That was their job. And so in order to do that, he lets people know how he's going to fund his work. And so we find it here in Deuteronomy 12, verses 5 through 6. God is establishing this nation. He wants it to be a nation of worship and blessing. And this is how he is going to fund his work. It says this in Deuteronomy 12, 5 through 6. It says, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go out, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and flocks. And so it says, I'm going to establish this nation. I'm the judge. I am the sole ruler. And we're going to make it a place of worship and a place of blessing. So I want you to build this temple. And we're going to staff it with people. And the people are going to support it. And there was three reasons why God asked the people to give a tenth of their income. And this is where it starts. He gives it, number one, for the Levites, okay? The Levites were the priests that were going to work in the temple and, and run all of the administration that happened there in the worship of God. This is what it says in Numbers 18 through 1821. It says, to the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel. So all the tithes come in to support the Levites as an inheritance in return for their service. And they, they do their service in the tent of meeting. For all the rest of the tribes of Israel, God had given them land. He had given them like literal wealth. For the Levites, they got no land. So they couldn't grow their own food. They couldn't grow stuff to sell it. They couldn't do commerce. They were solely supposed to function as priests of the Lord. And so how are they going to earn a living? It says, well, from the tithes. And that's how God instructed. So the tithe is intended to come in to support the people that are called to this full-time work of caring for the temple, the Levites. And by the way, the Levites were supposed to tithe too. Even though they're receiving from the people the tithe, they are supposed to tithe too because it goes back again to the fact that tithe is not only to support God's work, it's also as an act of worship and trust in him, right? This is what it says in Numbers 18.26. It says, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of a tithe. Does that make sense? And so just because people are in ministry, it doesn't exempt them from worshiping God by give, and trusting God with their tithe, okay? So God instructs the people, this is how you're going to function. You're going to give a tithe, 10% of everything that I give you. Number one, for the Levites. Here's the second reason. For festivals and celebrations. In other words, for big gatherings and outreach. Do you realize that God is a partying God. He really is. There are so many festivals. He commands the people, get together, have a huge barbecue, and hang out with each other. And remember all the good things that we've done. Sometimes we make Christianity so solemn and so, you know, dark almost. But it is one of the most rejoiceful religions 
We have the victory. There's so much to celebrate. And God, now there, is, there are moments where we're supposed to mourn, you know, for our sins and for evil and things like that. But it, for the most part, you see God, when he instructs the Israelites, there's so many celebrations that he commands them to have. And so one of the, re, one of the ways that they fund this is, again, through the people's contributions. Uh, Deuteronomy 14.22, it says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Okay? I want you to party. I want you to celebrate everything that I've done and this right here is going to help you not to forget and it's going to help you to remember that I am God and that I care for you and so when you bring your tithes the people God is establishing this for the Levites for the people that work in the ministry serving the Lord number two for celebrations and festivals and outreach and then number three for the widows orphans and sojourners for the widows, orphans, and sojourners. So why do people give their tithe? One of the reasons is also for those who are needy to give. It says this in Deuteronomy 14, 28-29. At the end of every three years you shall bring out all the tithes of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work and the hands in which you do. So we see from the very beginning, Cain and Abel are giving their sacrifice to God. Then we see Abraham, then we see Jacob, and then we see God instituting official temple worship and how everything was going to be taken care of, uh, giving the tithes to the temple and so on and so forth. And again, it's an act of worship, it's an act of trusting, and it's an act of funding God's work. All right? You guys following me? All right. Let's take a deep breath. That was your history lesson, okay? Now, here's the million-dollar question that most Christians who know a little bit about the Scripture will ask, and I want to answer it for you. We know it applies to the temple and to the Jews. How do we know that it applies to us? Anybody ever heard that question before? How do we know that it applies to us? Here's what happens. Some people like to say that the tithe doesn't apply to today. And most of the time, I'm just going to be honest, the reason why is because they don't want to give. Or they want to give less. And so that's what they want to say. It doesn't apply, and the reason is they want... I've never met a person who says, the tithe isn't for today. I, that's why I give 20%, right? I've never heard a person say that. That it's not just about 10%, it's about more. So let me tell you why it's still for today. God has laws. And all the way in the, in the beginning, he has laws and he has principles. And some of these laws are relevant to today. Some of them are not. Okay? So how do we determine this? And by the way, this is, um, this is a principle of interpretation. If you go to seminary or a Bible college, one of the things they'll teach you is how to interpret Scripture. And one of the things that you ask is, is how to interpret Old Testament theology and laws in light of the New Testament, the different covenants that are happening. And so 
one of the things that you should always look into when you're comparing the Old Testament law to the New Testament covenant is, is there, especially with the laws, you got to ask, is there a higher purpose of this law that is still relevant today? Is, there a, is the higher purpose of that law still relevant for today? If it's not relevant, then it's not applicable to us. For example, should we sacrifice animals on an altar out here? The question is simple. Why? Because in the Old Testament, they used to say sacrifice animals. Well, no. Why? Because the higher purpose of the sacrificial system is what? That it would point us to the ultimate and final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, and when Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled that part of the law. So that's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus already atoned for our sins, and, and we don't ever have to offer another sacrifice. On the other hand, should we still follow the law, thou shalt not murder? Really? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes, I guess. No. Uh, depends who we're talking about, right? Of course. Um, Yes, of course we should. Of course we should. Why? Because the higher principle of the law, which is value human life, God is the only one that can determine life and death. It's in his hands. That's a job description of God and not us. Then we should obviously still maintain it. Now, here comes the main question. Should we continue to tithe? Should we continue to tithe? Well, let's look at that principle. Is the higher purpose of the law still relevant? In other words, is God still continuing his work? Are we still under his rule and authority? Are there people executing the work of God that needs to be supported? Are there ministries that need to go forth? The answer is yes. And therefore, we need to continue supporting the work of God. Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is this saying? The center of his work on earth. What is it? His worship, ministry, advancement of the kingdom, the care for widows and orphans and all that has been transferred from the temple to the church. Yes, as individuals, but as the collective church. And since God's work continues, we are responsible to support that work. How? By regular tithes and offerings. When Jesus walked this earth during his three years of ministry, most people don't know, he didn't work. He was homeless. His ministry, his entire ministry, depended on the support of his followers. Faithful giving of people that believed that he was the Messiah. Luke 8, 1 through 3, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also, check this out, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons came out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support him out of their own means. So Jesus received 
the support of his followers. And so God's work is still being done. The centerpiece of his work on earth is the church. He's the one building it. And how has he chosen to fund his work? It's still through his people. It hasn't changed at all. God's workers are funded by his people. Now, here lies a huge difference. Here lies a huge difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you haven't heard anything till now, perk up your ears. We are now, because of Jesus, on the side of grace. Everybody said? Amen. We're on the side of grace. And because grace is the picture, the law is no longer the ideal. It is not something you can check a box and say, I'm good. It's not about your outward behavior. Now, what Jesus taught us is that the heart is important. With the law, you can simply go and do what the letter of the law says and have a bad heart about it. Say, I guess I'll give my 10%, right? But now Jesus is saying, no, that's not enough. I'm looking at your heart. And when Jesus uses the law, in fact, this is how Jesus interprets the law in his view, okay? So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, how does Jesus transfer all that? This is how he does it. He uses it as a starting point. Whereas before, for the Jews, it was an ending point. You just do this and you're good. Jesus says, no, that's just the starting point. It's not even the beginning of it. And he challenges us, his followers, to look beyond the simple action, to look inside of our hearts. Here's an example of this. When Jesus looks at the law about murder, what does he say? He says, you've heard it said, Thou shalt not murder. But I say, here's what he's interpreting. Nowadays, it's not less than what the law requires. It's more. And he says, I say, he who is angry towards another without reason has committed murder in his heart. People before were feeling pretty good. I haven't murdered anybody this week, this year, my lifetime. But Jesus says, yeah, but you were angry ten times without a cause. And being angry has the same kind of heart as he who murders. He elevates the law. Do you see that? It's the starting point. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Another one of the big ten. What does he do? He elevates it. He elevates it. He's not, it's, it's not just adultery. It's about what's going on in your mind. Are you lusting after women? Are you lusting after men? If so, you have the same heart as that of an adulterer. So he raises the standard. And the same thing with the tithe. You don't just mindlessly pay a bill every month. It's a matter of the heart. Verse, Matthew, uh, verses 20, uh, chapter 23, verses 23 says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! It says, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others what is Jesus saying he's saying look you think you're good because you're tithing but look you're treating people badly 
I mean, it's like these people were not just tithing of their income. They were, they were tithing of their herb gardens, apparently, right? They're like, oh, I got a little herb garden. I have 10 leaves. I better give one leaf to the church. I mean, that's the kind of devotion to the letter of the law that they had. And Jesus is like, you're, you're neglecting weightier matters. There's more important matters. You're paying attention to, to the details and these lesser matters, but the weightier matters you're not even caring about at all. And then he says this, he says, you ought to have done this. You ought to continue to tithe and pay special attention to those details, but not neglect the others. So tithing is not the ideal. In Jesus' mind, if we follow his logic of how he interprets the Old Testament into the New, we see it as a starting point. And we see it as an issue of the heart. And so when people come and say, you know, it's not for the New Testament, they, didn't, then they don't give to church or they don't give to other, other causes or missionaries or God's work, there is a problem with that. There is a problem with that. Here's something I read that really encouraged my heart that I couldn't even put into my own words. I just thought it was really good. And so pay attention to this part. And with this I end. It says, to commend tithing as the ideal simply does not capture the New Testament's view of discipleship. He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. This person says, that's 50%, not 10%. You have two coats, you give one, that's 50%. And then he says, Zacchaeus stood on the side. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Again, what's that? 50%. Jesus, uh, Jesus said to the rich young man, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What's that? A hundred percent. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Again, a hundred percent. A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's Luke 9.57. What is that? All, all who believe were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and good and distributed them all to anyone as had need. Acts 2.44 Acts 4.34 says that there was no needy person among them for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. 2 Corinthians 8.2 and 3 In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part for they gave according to their means and beyond their means. And this author says this about all of those scriptures. What seems to have changed in the New Testament is that people seeing the sacrifice of Christ and being so moved by Jesus that instead of just giving 10%, they were moved to give way more. And that's the point of today's message. We don't follow the law to the letter because it's not the highest ideal. The highest ideal is a response of generosity, faith, and love, and support of Jesus' work because of all that he's already done for you. Amen? And it goes beyond the tithe. Way beyond. 
if I was to counsel somebody, my children, for example, like I told you at the beginning, to start giving, I would start at either 9% or 11%. Because I don't want them to get fixated. This 10%, that's what you're supposed to do in the time. No. But I would then encourage, see how much more you can give. As God gives to you, you give to him. And think about this. God's work in this world, through the church, through believers, is what brought many of you to know him. Why do we continue to give? Because we want other people to continue to hear about him. And Jesus said, I will build what? My church as a means of distributing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Not to mention, and this is what I'm going to touch on. So this is, this is just kind of the, the introductory message. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about the joy the blessing, the promises that God gives, that when we put him first, man, he blesses so much. He really does. He really does. You ask anybody who regularly tithes, who takes that step of faith, and you will say, man, you can't outgive God. God honors when people put him first. Um, And it's a joy, isn't it? It's a joy to be able to give and to see what God can do. Uh, today I woke up to the devastating news that my, my best friend's daughter was diagnosed to, with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he's my best friend since I was 15 years old. I've known him, and his name is Aaron. And a couple of weeks ago he texted me. He asked me to pray because they were going to do some tests. He was kind of worried. And so this morning I heard that it was actually that. And, and um, some of his coworkers set up a fund for him to try and raise money for the hospital bills that are going to be coming up and the expenses without even thinking about it without even thinking about it I took out my wallet and I contributed and I say this not to pat my back but simply to tell you that the reason why is because I love this man I love his daughter I care for them so much right I want her to get better I want to help what they're trying to do no questions asked. I'm not going to go in there and ask, okay, well, what kind of treatment are they doing? Are they da 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 No, no, no. Dude, it's his daughter. I, I can imagine, you know, so I give to that out of love. That's what this message is about. Has what Christ has done so captivated your heart that it opens up just new avenues for trust? Hey, God, I'm going to give, believing that when I give, you're going to honor it. You're going to care for me. Does it open new avenues of love? Lord, I love you. And if this is what you're doing in the world, I want to be a part of it. Um, Generosity. Lord, you were so generous with me, so I'm going to give. And I believe your word that says, blessed are those who give more than those who receive. Has the gospel captured your heart in such a way? I want to challenge you. If it hasn't, do some hard work with God. Do some heart work. And if you are being touched by this message and you're like, you know what? I've been dancing around this issue for a long time. I encourage you to start. How do you start something like this? Well, just start. Just start. Start giving to the Lord. We're also going to talk on Friday, or or not on Friday, in two weeks, about some of these special issues. You you say, Manny, I'm in debt. You know, I'm trying to pay my credit cards. Or Manny, I'm doing this. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the special implications that this comes with but I want to help you because following God's ways is always better than the world's ways amen
All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your instructions. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Okay. Today's message was recorded at Catalyst Church San Diego. For more information on Catalyst Church and to find out ways to connect with us, visit our website at catalystchurchsd.org. We look forward to fellowshipping with you.